Well, good morning, faith family. I say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, one last time, at least this summer. Uh, we've been in a series looking at the Ten Commandments. Every week we've been looking at one commandment and trying to unpack that. Uh, this morning we come to the tenth and final uh, commandment. The next two weeks we're going to uh, uh, take a focus on uh, ministry here at Berean, and then uh, beginning of September we'll start a brand new series I am very, very, very excited about. I know you think I'm excited about every series, because I am, um, but it's like one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I will just kind of tease you until next week, and we'll reveal that then. But uh, excited about that, excited where we're going. This morning, though, let's finish well the Ten Commandments. Have you enjoyed studying the Ten Commandments this summer? Yeah, it's been good. It's been really good. So... Let's look at the last one. It's verse 17, and I'll ask in all of our locations, if you're able, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's Word. Would you pray for me and with me as we ask God to come speak to us? Let's pray. Lord, it is a gift of Your grace to be here in this moment, um, to hear You from Your Word and pray that You would speak to us, to be able to worship You through song, to give, to fellowship with one another. Thank You uh, for this time of gathering uh, with your people. So we pray now that your spirit, the spirit of truth, would guide us now as we look at this last commandment and really teach us. May this be a divine moment with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may remember the story from uh, the Canterbury Tales. Three men sit drinking and they hear off in the distance the, the ringing of the funeral bell. They shortly realize that it is the funeral of one of their close friends who was slain in the night by an enemy known as death. Outraged at this, these three men decide that they are going to track down death, kill it, and avenge their friend. While they're on the journey, they come across this old man and they ask the old man uh, if he knows where they can find death. He said, sure, I'll be happy to tell you where you can find death. You will find him under the old oak tree. Excited that they now knew where death could be found, they hurried on their way. But when they got to the tree, they were shocked to discover that, that death was not there. There was eight bags of gold. They desired it, they wanted it, and, but they realized that, that you don't go around carrying gold in the middle of the day, so they figured they would just guard it until evening. While they waited, they sent one of the men into town to buy some bread and wine. It's not all he bought. He bought some poison. And he poisoned the wine that he would give to the other two men. But, but of course, he doesn't know that while this is going on, the other two are back at the tree plotting on how they can kill him. 
When the man finally returns to the tree, before he can give the other two the poisoned wine, they stab him and they kill him. Now that the shares of gold have increased for them, they decide that this is a moment to celebrate and they toast to a glass of wine. In a few moments, the poison kicks in and the two men lay next to their friend. The old man was right. They would all find death at the old oak tree. And what was the weapon that death would use to slay these three young men? It was the weapon of covetousness, envy, greed, jealousy, that that feeling of dissatisfaction, the the craving for something else, the never-ending feeling of trying to get enough, that quest for just one more. You've felt it, you've said it. Just one more drink. Give me one more try. Sing one more song. Can we have one more dance? Let me make one more cast. I promise just one more bite. How about one more kiss? Stay one more minute. Grandpa, won't you tell me one more story? Oh, faith family, the truth of the matter is is that our life is the never-ending search for just one more. The late Rich Mullins sang... Everyone always says they need just one thing, but what they really mean is they need just one thing more. But as country music singer Toby Keith sings, one more was never enough. Shakespeare says, beware my lord of jealousy, it is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Have you ever heard anyone quote Rich Mullins, Toby Keith, and Shakespeare together? This is a gift. (laughs) Don't clap. That encourages me, all right? The point, faith family, is that a life dedicated to the pursuit of more is a path of death. It is why God so loved his people, he gave them the tenth commandment. Look at it again, verse 17. You shall not covet. Your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, let's be honest. This is not exactly the ending we might have expected. God has been appearing in thunder and lightning. He has miraculously saved his people out of Egypt. He's called Moses up to the mountain to give him these 10 words, these 10 words that will not just be a foundation for the nation of Israel, it will echo throughout human history. You'd expect a big ending, maybe a mic drop of just boom, there it is, or a standing ovation of thundering applause, or at least one final appearance from Charlton Heston. But no, you don't get any of that. Instead, the ending that you've been waiting for, the ending we've all been longing for is this. You shall not covet your neighbor's donkey. (laughs) Really? You went with the donkey ending? 
It's like in the book of Jonah, this amazing narrative, this amazing story, Jonah, the great fish, the revival in Nineveh, and the book literally ends with this, and there was much cattle. Someone hire God a publisher, like learn how to end these stories. But at the risk of divine blasphemy, I would submit to you, faith family, this is the perfect ending. And not just because God is perfect and He chose to end it this way. Of course, that's true. I would take you deeper than that and say this is exactly how the Ten Commandments should end. For three reasons, at least. Number one is because the Tenth Command to not covet is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Now, before I connect those dots as to why it is comprehensive, let's talk about what does it mean to covet. This is not a word that we typically use in everyday language. Uh, what is coveting? Well, it's, it's the idea of desires. It's the desires of the heart. Uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. You really get a sense of this. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not, everybody say it, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, field, servants, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So it's really this idea of desire or the word that we may be more familiar with than covet is craving, uh, that we, we crave something. Anybody ever had cravings? Right? As I was studying for this, um, I came across familyeducation.com, did a study on the top five things pregnant women crave. <laughs> this won't get me in trouble at all. Five things, top things that pregnant women crave. Ladies, help me out here. Number five on the list was bacon. Can I get an amen? Uh, number four on the list was cheese. Number three on the list was eggs. Two on the list was pickles. Anybody want to guess what the first one was? Ah, uh, you're close. Chocolate. Mmm. And all God's people said, amen. Bacon, cheese, eggs, pickles, chocolate. Based on that list, faith family, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> I crave those things all the time. That's like all I eat. Anyways, what's the point? We all know what it's like to crave. Every one of us does. But of course, the craving itself is not the issue. It's not the desire that's the problem, the desire alone. It's this. This is what makes coveting sinful. Notice it on the screen. It's craving the wrong things or craving the right things in the wrong way. That's what makes coveting sinful. It's not the desire. It's the craving for the wrong thing or the right thing in the wrong way. You say, yeah, but pastor, I've still never craved a donkey. Well, yeah, but in the ancient Near East, you have to understand that what's being described here, a, a house, field, family, servants, cattle, that's just the sum of one's possessions. It could literally be anything that someone else has. In fact, the text even says anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, today, it could be that you, you crave to be as attractive as somebody else. You crave to be as successful as somebody else. You crave to be married because you're single. You crave the giftedness that someone else has. This is what coveting is. Now, how is that comprehensive now that we understand what coveting is? For two reasons it's comprehensive. Number one, it's because the tenth command, now that we understand coveting, is taking you back to the first command. 
Look at it again in Exodus 20, verse 3. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, faith family, there should be no desire in your life greater than your desire for God. And if there is a desire in your life greater than your desire for God, that is called idolatry. In fact, Saying that the 10th commandment goes back to the first commandment is not, I didn't make that up. I'm ripping that from the apostle Paul. Watch what he says in Colossians 3 verse 5. It's not the only place in the New Testament where this happens, but this is a good one. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and, talk to me, covetousness, which is, do you see? Covetousness, 10th commandment, which is idolatry, first commandment. That is, you worship what you covet. And when you worship it more than you worship God, you have violated the first commandment. It's comprehensive in that way. Here's the second way it's comprehensive is because the 10th commandment's the basis for breaking all the other ones. In other words, you steal, you murder, you bear false witness because you're coveting something. The deed that you're doing is being driven by desires. Notice it even on the screen. Desires are what determine the deeds that you do. So the very reason why you're breaking the other commandments is because there's something you're desiring that makes you act out in that way. Again, I'm stealing this from the New Testament. Look at James 4 and verse 1. What causes these quarrels and fights among you? What, what's making what's happening on the surface take place? Why is that going on? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you, you what? Desire and do not have, so you murder, which I'm pretty sure is one of the Ten Commandments, right? You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, the cracks you see on the surface, the deeds, are directly related to the cravings you have underneath the desires. It's the perfect ending to the Ten Commandments. Amen? Because it's comprehensive. It fits back to the first one, and it's the basis for all the others. But there's another reason why this is the perfect ending to the Ten Commandments. It's not just that it's comprehensive, but secondly, it is essential for community. It is essential for community. Every single time I have preached on a commandment, I have reminded you of the context. you got to remember the context. God is leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and He is leading them to the what? The promised land. And, and the whole Ten Commandments are the contract that God is entering into with the nation of Israel. This is what life is going to be like. Uh, this is what your society will be established on as you live in the promised land. In other words, there will be no love of God, first four commandments, and there will be no love of neighbor, the second six, if there's coveting. 
what is essential for you to experience promise land living relationally among one another is that you not covet. And you know this already to be true, parents. What destroys community among your children, ideas or desires? Have you ever walked by the room of your children and heard your children fighting over socialism versus capitalism? If so, I want to meet your kids. Have you ever walked by and heard them say, well, I think the timing of the rapture is going to be, oh, no, it's clearly after the tribulation, and on and on and on they go? No. But what you have walked by their room and heard is, he took what I want. That's mine. Desires that aren't being met, and so they fight. You know, it's true for churches as well. This might get a little close. Church fights are almost always, I might even say are always, desire fights. Well, I want that, and I think they should have done this, and this group is getting that, and our group isn't. Here's the point. Look at me. Coveting kills community. You will continue to live like a slave in Egypt if you are enslaved to your desires. You will not experience the promised land living that I have for you, oh my people, if you covet one another. It's essential to community. Here's the third reason why this is the perfect ending to the Ten Commandments. The perfect ending is because the Tenth Command is preparing you for another covenant. I might get excited here. <laughs> You're like, you haven't been excited already? Just wait. It's preparing you for something else. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because unlike the other commands, coveting is internal. Stealing is a deed or an action. Uh, murder is a deed. These are things that you do. Now, I'm not denying the, the desires underneath. I'm very well aware of what Jesus says, and we've even pointed that out. What I'm saying, though, is coveting, unlike the others, is internal. Now, follow me. Everybody, Lakeville, everybody listen. If the 10th commandment is required to fulfill the others, I've just made that case. If the 10th commandment is required to fulfill the others, and the 10th commandment is about the heart, then the only way you'll ever obey the 10 commandments is with a new heart. And is that not exactly what God promises in the new covenant? Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, and after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. And write it on their, talk to me, hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. Um, 
I hope I can say this the right way. The tenth command proves the insufficiency of the Ten Commandments. You can't do them without a new heart. And you will only get a new heart in the new covenant. And who brings the new covenant? Jesus Christ. You must be born again. Now, you might say, I I don't like how you're speaking of the Ten Commandments here. You're saying they're insufficient. I'm saying they're insufficient to save you because you can't keep them. And that's the point. Listen, listen, I'm almost close. We'll wrap this. Not the sermon, all right? I'm just talking point one. Don't you be thinking that, all right? I'm almost done with this point. Um, Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7. He says the very thing I'm trying to say here. What shall we say? This is verse 7. Is the law sin? Of course not. By no means, we're not saying anything bad about the law. Yet if I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the command, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Paul is saying the whole point of the first covenant was to show you you need a new one. The tenth commandment's the perfect ending because it's preparing you for something greater in Jesus Christ. Oh, I've just scratched the surface. Oh, I've just scratched the surface. But I'm at least just trying to tell you that here's what you have in the 10th commandment. A comprehensive one fits with the first basis for the others. Essential to community, promised land living. And if you understand what coveting is and how it reveals the the true nature of your heart, then you'll see your desperate need for Jesus. For God to cleanse you of your coveting heart. Now, I could give you all kinds of examples of how Israel violated this in the Old Testament, both before and after Exodus 20. You could talk about Adam and Eve. They wanted what was forbidden so bad, they ate. Cain was so jealous for his brother, he killed. Esau craved the bowl of soup so badly he gave up his inheritance. Aaron, Miriam, wanted the ministry spotlight so bad. How come Moses gets all the glory that they betrayed? Achan wanted the money so bad he stole from the treasury in Jericho. Samson, David, Solomon, so bound by wild desire, they fell in to a ring of fire. Koheleth, because I must. Wouldn't be a sermon without him. 
who gave himself, he's the Solomon-like king in Ecclesiastes, he gave himself to every desire under the sun, laughed at every joke, tasted every bottle of wine, built vineyards and gardens, surpassed all those that were before him in Jerusalem. And here's what he said, I'd rather die than live because you will either never get what you desire or you will get what you desire and realize it doesn't satisfy. I could keep going. But the point is clear. Everybody here has a fruit you want to bite. You have a bowl of soup you must eat. A spotlight you want to be in. An amount you must have. A person you must have. A craving you have to fill. Whether you like the movies or not, it's just like in Harry Potter, the mirror of Erised, which is desire backwards. It reveals the desires of the heart. Harry's never known his parents, and so when he stands before the, the mirror of desire, the deepest longings, the deepest cravings of his heart get reflected back to him. Faith family, if you looked this morning into the mirror of desire, what would you see reflected back? What's that thing you want more than anything else you could want? What do you covet? This expresses itself in so many different ways. I'll give you quickly, and I do mean quickly, five things that they're going to do, do two things by giving you these five things. One, it's going to prove that we all covet in our hearts. And two, it's going to help you find what you covet. It will prove that we covet, and it will help us discover what we covet with these five things. If you're taking notes, jot them down. Number one is look at your tendency to compare. Your tendency to compare. Uh, Thomas DeLong, he's professor at Harvard Business. He wrote about a trend that he noticed among uh, the college students um, at Harvard. Quote, a former student of mine graduated 10 years ago and had a terrific job at a Fortune 500 company. Yet when she received her alumni newsletter and learned a fellow alumnus uh, who was in the MBA program with her had been named vice president at a Fortune 100 company, listen, she could barely hold a conversation without bemoaning her lack of status. She often told others she felt like a failure. More than ever before, the people I meet, he goes on to say, listen, are obsessed with comparing their achievements to the achievements of others. Do you want to know that you covet, and do you want to know what you covet? Answer this. What do you compare yourself to? Who is it that you compare yourself to? Because your obsession with comparison will show you what your heart wants most. Secondly, not just our tendency to compare, but our tendency to complain. No, you don't say. It goes like this. I'm so tired of living in this neighborhood. I hate how these clothes fit. How come my husband always, my car is a piece of junk. 
how come we never go on vacations like that? How come people never give me the respect? It goes on and on and on. Here's my, here's my point, faith family. Listen to what you complain about because it may very well reveal what you covet most. Oftentimes, our complaining is covering up what we're coveting. Thirdly, is our tendency to be critical our tendency to be critical specifically of others. It goes like this, because somebody else has the thing you want, the giftedness you want, the lifestyle that you want, the car that you want, you become critical of them. Why? Listen, because you can't get to their level, you just bring them down to yours. And what's happening here is that the criticism of your mouth is covering the coveting of your heart. You can't have what they have, so you'll just make them the target of your gossip and slander. Fourthly, is a tendency to, (laughs) oh, consume. Moving right along. Do you know the culture you live in? The religion of America is coveting. This is the culture in which we swim. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the wallet spins, or something like that. I may be paraphrasing a bit. But it's true. We live in a culture that is obsessed with the newest, latest donkey. I got to have that donkey, and I want the, the heated leather seats with that donkey and the GPS system. Because my neighbor's got the old version of the donkey, and I want the new donkey so that I can be better than my neighbor. And so it goes. You don't believe me? Just look at our national debt. Look at our consumer debt. You know what that's a sign of? It's not the sign of a debt problem. It's the sign of a desire problem. That our God is our bellies. That's what Paul says. Of course, he means it as a metaphor, that you're driven by your appetites so you consume. Lastly, the way we know we covet and can identify what we covet is our tendency to cling. Our tendency to cling. Coveting hinders generosity. Coveting hinders generosity. Here's what I mean. Notice it on the screen. I I want you to read this. We covet, this will preach. Say, preach, preacher. So preach. We covet when we don't give what we ought because it would keep us from what we want. We covet when we don't give what we ought because it would keep us from what we want. It goes like this Pastor, if I gave that, I couldn't get this. You just discovered what you covet. Clinging can reveal what you covet. And of course, we could go on and on, but I'll just ask you, what do you compare yourself to? What do you complain about? What are you most critical of? What do you consume the most? Or what do you cling tightly to? And the answer to those questions will reveal your covetousness and set you down the road to find out what it is you covet 
the most. Now, what's the solution to the sin of coveting? How do we address the sin? Uh, Or as we've been asking in this series, how does Jesus transform the 10th commandment? And I'm going to go about this a little different than I have in in past sermons. I actually want to give you the answers that a lot of Christians would give you, expose that for how it's not the truth, and in exposing that, show you how Jesus transformed the 10th commandment. It'll be a lot clearer when I do it, all right? Here's the answer that some would give as to how to address the sin of coveting. They would say, well, just don't have any desires. Christians that will say this. And they tend to have this kind of expression on their face at church. (laughs) Grumpy. You know Christians like this? Don't point. I had a guy, true story, several months ago after our last service came up to me grumpy cat face and uh, said, I'm never coming back to this church. It was his first time here. He said, I'm never coming back to this church. I'm okay. It was nice to meet you too. Uh, why? Because you people laugh. Ain't no, I'm not making this up. This is true. To which I graciously, seriously, I was gracious in just saying, you probably don't want to come back to this church because we'll smile and laugh. There's a thing called the joy of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. But there are Christians like that. If you do anything that feels good, repent immediately. (laughs) There is no pleasure allowed whatsoever in the Christian faith. The problem with that, faith family, is that's Buddhism, not Christianity. I mean, really, it is Buddhism. The absence of desire is not what the Bible teaches. Do you remember in John 6, the crowd is gathered and they're following Jesus, they're hungry? And the disciples find that little boy kicking and screaming and fighting as they steal his lunch. <laughs> had to happen that way. Bible doesn't say that, but of course it had to happen that way, right? And, and it's not enough to feed the thousands, so Jesus takes it and multiplies it and feeds them till they're full. The problem is the next day they're hungry again and searching for guess who? Jesus. You pick it up in John 6, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. What's Jesus saying? You're not following because you believe I'm the Messiah. You're following me because you want another meal. You think I'm a Pez dispenser. You think I'm an ancient Near Eastern pantry and that I can just feed you again over and over and over again. In other words, you had desires, you hungered. Uh, Those desires were met temporarily, but now they're back again. What do you do? Watch what Jesus says next. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Right here, faith, family, Lakeville, everybody. The problem is not your desire. The problem is the focus of your desire. You're eating the wrong bread. It's not that you hunger. It's What are you looking to? Who are you looking to to satisfy that hunger? The problem is not your craving. It's who are you feeding on? And if that is anything but Jesus Christ, you will always be hungry. The answer is not don't desire. 
It's glut yourself on Jesus. That's Christianity. There's a second answer that people will give to address the sin of coveting. How do we find contentment? How do we not covet? And it's not don't have any desire. It's this. Limit your desires. Limit your desires. Here's how it gets said. I want you to listen very closely because you're going to hear this the most. It goes like this. Be content with what you have. After all, look at all the things you have. Be content with what you have. After all, look at all the things that God has given you. You heard this? Be content with the car you have, the house you have, the money you have. Be content with these things because that's what God... Just be content with what you have. It's almost like this. Uh, you, if you would just be content with what you have, you wouldn't covet. Be thankful with what God has given you. And that sounds normal, that sounds biblical, but it will not work. Here's why. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Stop. Pastor, you're wrong. What you just said is the exact opposite of what the Bible just said, to which you'd be right unless you read the rest of the verse. Four, be content with what you have. Four, 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 four. <laughs> it's a very important word. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, the writer doesn't say be content with what you have because you already have enough. He says be content with what you have because you have the Lord. Contentment is not found in the stuff you already have. It is found in the Savior you'll always have. He will never leave you or forsake you. Be content with what you have. Why? You have a God that's not going anywhere. That's the source of contentment. That's the gospel answer. That's the Christian answer. It means that your discontentment and my discontentment, listen, has nothing to do with the fact that you have three things and really want five things. It has to do with the fact that you have the ultimate thing and aren't satisfied enough in Him. That's the issue. So, how do we answer the question? How do we obey the tenth commandment? Well, here's the not answer. How do we obey the tenth commandment in light of what Christ has done. The not answer, the please stop saying this answer is just be satisfied with what God has given you. Be satisfied with what God has given you. Be content with what God has given you. Here's the Christ-centered answer to how we obey the 10th commandment. Be satisfied in God. Be satisfied in God. Because if you desire him the most, you'll have no motivation to covet anything your neighbor has. It was spring. But summer is what I wanted. The warm days, the, the, the beach, the great outdoors. Oh, it was summer. But it was fall, 
I wanted. The colorful leaves, the the cool, dry air, it was fall. But it was winter that I wanted. The beautiful snow, the, the joy of a holiday season, it was winter. But it was spring that I wanted. The warming and blossoming of nature. I was a child. Oh, but it was adulthood that I wanted. Oh, to be free, to have a little bit of respect. I was middle-aged. But it was 20 I wanted. Oh, to be young and free again. I was retired. But it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without any physical limitations. And now my life is over. And I never got what I wanted. Dear Faith family, I invite you this morning to the place of contentment. Will you say, Pastor, where might I find this contentment? I'll tell you where you can find contentment. At the foot of an old, old tree. For it is there on that tree that one was slain by death so that you could have eternal life. It was there at that old tree that one who was rich became poor so that you could have treasures forevermore. It was there at that old tree that Jesus did not covet a different kind of life. He was content with a crucified one. Because his desire, the desire of his heart, was to do the Father's will. Want contentment? Then come, won't you? And die at that old, old tree. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, you know every heart in this room. You know the desires of it. And I pray this morning you would come and meet us here. There are some in this room that have been eating the wrong bread all their life. They have never come to the point in their life where they have found the bread of life a relationship with Jesus Christ where they this morning turn from their sin and put their faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is, according to the Bible, how we eat of the bread. We put faith in Christ. We surrender and say, you alone are my heart's desire. Others in this room 
God, you know the things in which they covet. You know the things in which they crave. And I I pray this morning that you would bring us to yourself. And that we would not be content in what we have. We would be content in you. Because you will never leave us or forsake us. So Spirit of God, come and move and work, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand?